Jacob Gantz, and this is episode five. Today is a first for Millennial Mythos, as we are joined by two parents from different families. Um, with interviewing parents, the goal that I set out with tonight was to, to co cut as wide a swath as possible with the amount of experiences that they and their students have uh, come, in, come into contact with. We're not searching out one issue or even several, but looking to explore the differences and similarities in our experiences, and of course the challenges that come with public education. I think that we as teachers and administrators, even though many of us are parents ourselves, can benefit from hearing from parents while not having a dog in the fight when it comes to our particular institution or school system. So to that end, I would like to welcome Sidra Thatch and Penny Buffington, two extraordinary moms that absolutely changed the way I view education early on in my career. And uh, I'm really excited to, to have them. So welcome, Penny and Sidra. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> absolutely. So what I would like to do first is if you could just each take a few minutes and tell us um, who you are, what your kids are like, who your kids are, and, and a little bit about it, about yourselves. Go ahead, Penny. Whoever wants to jump in. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm happy to start. I was hoping that Sidra would uh, help me out and go first so that I could have a, a sense of what we need to cover here. But um, like Jacob said, my name is Penny Buffington, and I have one daughter, uh, an only child, and I raised her in a rural um, setting in Wyoming um, intentionally by design. We made a choice early on in our daughter's education to deliberately stay within a rural environment to ensure that she would get the type of education that we wanted her to get. And from my perspective, looking back, it, there were pluses and minuses to that. Go into that a little bit more, but basically, I, I feel like my identity as a mom is a major component of who I am, and a major. It, it's absolutely the biggest job I've ever had. I've had other jobs, but my job as a mom, unequivocally, has been the biggest job that I've ever had, and the education system is a major partner when you're raising your children. And so I became very passionate for education from day one. And as she grew with them, my involvement grew as well. Um, it, I felt like the only way that I had, I stood as a parent of understanding more about what I needed to do to help and to be a partner with the education system. So we currently in DC, we have since moved away from the rural environment. Um, that obviously was a separate choice after we were done raising our child. Um, but I feel as though if parents look at the education system and understand impact that they have on your child, their involvement should mirror that that amount. It's it's just tremendous, and I that's not, possible. but I think if you don't do that, there's a price. So, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sidra <laughs> um, Okay, my name is Sidra, and I have four girls. They're all about three years apart. My oldest is um, just about ready to graduate with a master's degree, and my um, I have another daughter who's a junior in college. I have a graduating senior this year from high school, and then I also have a freshman in high school. So, a little bit different demographics. Um, my husband and I were born and raised in this rural state, and so we ended up in this community, and we pretty much raised them. The oldest one, who is now 24, we came to this community when she was six. So this is pretty much our only real education system um, besides our own upbringing. So the the difference for us as parents, I completely agree with Penny. Like this is this is my whole essence of being is to be a mom. I put my own education on hold to raise a family, to have a family, and so um, whether that's healthy or unhealthy, somebody else can judge that. But that was my priority, and that's what I chose to do. And so I wanted them to succeed. I wanted to give them every benefit that that community could provide. 
We've been very blessed and lucky in many ways to be in this particular community for such a long period of time because it created a sense of family. It created a sense of identity with other adults who were caring, who could nurture my children, um, especially during the high school years when they, they don't want their parent. You need a community of caring individuals. For the most part, that has been satisfied in the community that we currently live. Um, but I think that there's been a definite trend or shift in mentality in terms of teacher and administrators and even the community itself. And so my two older children fared far better of the strengths of this community. And unfortunately, we've kind of joked in our family that we have the haves and the have nots. The two olders had so much and these two younger ones are getting less and less of the good stuff that this community originally provided. Okay, well, I'm glad that you said that because those are, that's kind of my line of questioning. So, um, Penny, your daughter graduated, well, both of your eldest daughters graduated in 2014, right? Correct. Um, and Penny, you're an entirely different profession um, than you were when you were when you were in Wyoming. Um, so I'm really interested, and, and Sidra started alluding to it, but I'm really curious, and I know that your, your daughter um, went through college, but what have you seen, especially being in D.C., what have you seen that that you know or that pops up in your mind that's like wow that's different even than when montana was a freshman you know it, it's absolutely amazing for me when i see how people educate their children in this type of environment versus where we were um you know montana managed to attend and i i think sidra's daughter as well managed to attend you know a fairly decent college outside of of our small state um, and they made it through. Both of them graduated and they're both going to be productive adults. But in, in environments like this, environments like DC, you see parents who, they have no other choice but to be disconnected from school systems. They don't go to the schools every day to read. They don't go on field trips time to take their kids um, and, and do the special activities or make sure that the kid gets to ballet, that those functions in an environment like this non-exist. They happen, but it's, it's involved in them. It's a very detached education system. Um, most of the parents that I, I work with are around their So there's not a lot of school options that you see um, parents really feeling strong about and feeling um, confident about mm -hmm. it's, it's sad for me because when I when I hear these parents that I work with say, you know I can't go home I have a meeting you know for, for I left my office at 8pm if I would have had a working the type of job that's working there's no way that I could have um, so I'm thinking you know like Comparing here to there is very different in terms of how parents engage. But by the same token, you look at these kids and they still somehow come out with just amazing, amazing skills, amazing intellect, balance. And it causes, because I, I don't have my arms around how it is that not having parents involved with them can still turn out that where you have kids that are being accepted to Georgetown University, you have kids who are going off to Ivy League schools, Stanford, right. things of that nature. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was involved every single day. I was doing something. I should have had a tent at high school <laughs> <laughs> every day. And it's, it's just remarkable for me to see the performing, the, the performance of the kid in this metropolitan environment, but yet the parent involvement is so minimal. I don't, I don't know what the connect is. I, I don't have an answer to that. I have theories, but it's, it's been very interesting. Thank you. Hey, Penny, just before we move on, I don't know if your volume's really loud, but you're cutting out a lot. So I don't know if there's something on your end, but... Um, I, just don't, I don't see. think it is, but okay. okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know if it's, it, maybe it's just a slow connection or something, I think, but okay. It, it's okay. Um, so there was a lot of good stuff in there. 
Um, I actually talked with a colleague last week and she has only ever taught in, in large, you know, school. She's from South Florida. Um, and I asked her, well, is it, does rural education make it, you know, I've often wondered what if we broke up all the school systems so that they were smaller? I mean, we always want smaller class sizes as teachers, but, um, you know, in, in a school of 1600 or 5,000 where she was teaching, um, you're, you're just a number. I mean, there are college campuses in our, in our country that are smaller than 5,000. Um, so it's very interesting to, to hear you guys talk about uh, what you've experienced and that you both chose rural, rural, rural environments to, to educate your kids. Um, Sidra, what do you think? I mean, I mean, you have a different perspective because you're, you've had kids in continuously, right? So you asked about the differences. I haven't uh -huh. raised them in different communities. So the differences between my haves and my have-nots, yeah. it really comes down to seasoned professionals that actually care and want to be there. So we've seen a pretty big tick in the number of teachers that I would consider were more like teachers that I grew up with. People who were there because they were committed to the job, they had a passion for teaching, they loved kids. Um, I don't think in Wyoming it's ever been a lucrative thing when I was growing up to have, to be a teacher. It, I remember they had frozen salaries. I, I, you know, It wasn't this money-making thing that everybody wanted to go into. And at some right. point, they tried to rectify that and give larger salaries to give more competition for better qualified individuals. And I think in some ways it's probably backfired, at least in our community, to some degree, mm -hmm. because people like Mrs. Moss and Ms. Debates and, and people who were teachers because they loved what they were doing and they nurtured and they nourished and they were there from first thing in the morning when they could be to however long after school. They did sponsoring in high school. They were happy to go on whatever extracurricular thing that they could bring to that kid. And that is that was the difference for my two older kids. They were beneficiaries of this phenomenal teacher impact, mm -hmm. this rich heritage, um, this sense of community. We used to have K through six schools in Lander. We no longer have those. They systematically, either intentionally or otherwise, have broken up the sense of community that this and family that this area used to have. So we don't have K through six schools anymore. We have the K through three jumbo campus. We have the four or five campus. We have six through eight campus. And then we have freshmen through um, senior campus. Right. And so what that's done is it's dismantled that family feel. I can't as a parent, they've neutralized me as a parent. I can't be involved. I can't be, I had four kids. I had four kids in all four schools. How do I get to parent-teacher conference nights? Didn't happen. People had to, can we just do a phone-in this time instead of a face-to-face? -face? Can we right. shorten this time? I can't go to your pie meeting. I can't help with this thing because I have four separate buildings, teachers, administrators. They cut me in four quarters. And so the power of the parents completely changed with my second two children compared to my first two that had this K through six. We knew who the third grade teacher was going to be. We could say hi to them in the halls. They started to get to know our family. We could support each other. We could support what they were doing as teachers and they could support what we were doing as parents. And all of a sudden, I, who did not have any grandparents, I didn't have any extended family. I had a sense of family in the school system because people did care about my kids. They cared about their success. They wanted them to do young authors. They wanted them to do science fair. They were happy to give them help with history day because it was a sense of belonging. And that's the biggest difference that's happened is these in teachers, um, I don't know. I mean, education is business, it's money. It's not really about educating kids uh, at a public level for the good of the nation. It, it's a big business, it's dollars. And so when that has changed in order to entice more teachers, more competition, this younger generation or mid thirties generation, let's say, has totally different motives for coming to Wyoming and to being in education period. And they want a part-time job. They don't want to invest in my kid. They're not interested in being a school sponsor for prom or 
to go to close up to DC or it doesn't matter what it is. They don't want to be involved. You have to beg kids to be in history now in the middle school when that used to be the most successful thing that our community did. Right. Mrs. Hammer is still doing it all by herself. Can't get even the social studies teachers to say, yeah, I really want to, I totally want to be part of this. They'll go along for the ride for the field trip, but they don't actually want to take over the program. They don't actually right. want to be after school. They don't want to do all of the work that it took to get my two children Again, that those kids who had a lot, and there was a lot of kids who were successful at History Day and Science Fair and all of these things. These were great part of our community programs. They're dwindled, they're, they're minuscule. They've taken away the power of that too. And so these seasoned teachers, as they've retired, if they've been pushed out or changes in administrative um, philosophies or my goodness, I don't know. I don't know if it comes down to education dollars. I don't know what has changed, but I don't think my community is the only one that has experienced this or these teachers who are retiring, retiring 10 years earlier, they're retiring at 55. They want out. <laughs> they want out of our buildings. They want out of it. They want out of the mess. And that's exactly who my kids, now that I have two teenagers left and I've seen the difference between small children, middle school and high school, that's exactly who my high schoolers need is those 55 year olds who are like, wait a minute, step down. Your mom and dad love you. Chill out. Right. You got to look at it from this perspective and mentor my kids. And there are no longer mentors. There's no longer that sense of family. And that's why I call it the have nots. So my kid, I'm on my own. I'm defending my own kids. I'm trying to cut through the, the junk and the red tape. So those are the differences that I see from my experience. And That's just great. to take under that, Jacob, a little bit, I, I don't think these changes happened in a vacuum. I think that this, right. of course I, not. Even when, when our daughter was in the school system, I saw these changes coming. I, I spent a lot of time trying to dissect how these changes were incrementally happening. I remember standing out in front of a school administration building with hundred plus parents in the freezing cold begging our school board to keep an arts program. Um, you know, these these changes, even though Sidra is now a beneficiary of some of those things that were happening and starting to get momentum in 2012, 2013, now she's seeing a byproduct of those things really in place. I think it was small incremental chips that happened in our system and and even back then I said this is not a sustainable model you cannot continue you know I, I even went so far as to get all of the financials and, and dive into them and try to figure out from just a business standpoint what's going on how is this going to be sustainable long term so you know I I, I understand Sidra's frustration but I also know and it's not an I told you so, it's a, this was coming for a long time. This, this was a long time in the making. And I'm sure, you know, 10 years from now, some other parent will be talking on a podcast about how silly, you know, the last generation parents were for not right Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know, well, if you've, if you've followed the Wyoming news, the, um, the superintendent of public instruction, um, Jillian Balo in in Cheyenne, who was my seventh grade English teacher, actually. Um, Get out! <laughs> uh, oh my God, you're name dropping now. <laughs> you have one podcast and you start dropping names. <laughs> <laughs> but it was speaking. You know, Governor Gordon made the the state of the state address two weeks ago, or whatever it was, um, and and she said, you know, the thing that you said ten years ago. Um, the state, the, the funding model came out um, when, um, or that the not the funding model, the package of goods is what, the pack of goods is what she called it. Um, and I, I think it was, she came, it, it, that came out or was created um, before smartphones. That was created when um, NSYNC was still a boy band. <laughs> um, you know, and we're not so old that we don't remember that, <laughs> you know, but, um, and I think I, I think they're getting it, but I mean, is in Wyoming we 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 relied on the the minerals for the money, and and like Sidra said, we shoved that into salaries, 
Um, and I, I don't know if every district is, it was, is like um, Fremont was, um, but I certainly, I certainly think that there is some, uh, they're realizing, they're waking up. Um, I know I talked to a colleague yesterday and where she is heading, she's moving in the spring, um, but she said one of the elementary schools from your hometown, Sidra, has a non-certified music teacher teaching right now because they couldn't fill the position and this is in a university town where they're graduating oh my goodness. music majors out of it's the only four-year institution in in wyoming and they don't have a certified teacher to teach music when the college is a mile down the road um so i'm right there with you and i know what you're i know what you're saying um, and that's why we're talking because, um, great minds, right? Uh, <laughs> so here's a good, and I, and I'm going to, I've been writing things down because I'm going to come back to these, but, um, one question I have for you is you both obviously, and, and your families know how to, um, you knew how to raise your daughters and, and did that very well. What would you say is one thing that you gave your children, um, that has served them well and you're you know like and it's okay to bang it's okay to to beat your own drum here for a little bit but what is one thing you look at your children on a daily basis and say you know i don't know that the kids all going through school now have this but i'm so glad i gave that to kennedy or sadie or montana that is an excellent question sidra you know, Sorry, I, I could have prepped you with that one. <laughs> so that you can follow up and sound very collected in your thoughts. Uh, I think, I think honestly, Jacob, after after watching, and I was I was familiar with Kennedy's struggles when she first went away to college. Montana had the same struggles. These girls were 4.0 students, very good students, took all of the honors courses, felt as though they were really academically a notch above and they went off to these schools um cal poly my daughter attended cal poly um Peter's daughter attended michigan state two very good schools right um acceptance rate on these schools is pretty high um and so when they went away to school and they started struggling it made me question whether i did everything that i could as a parent to prepare her for the next and it's not that that small fish or big fish in a small pond thing. That's not what the, we're talking about. Academic rigor and your ability to perform at the next level. This is not about, it, it was almost like a false sense of security that those girls were given, but raised in this community that basically knew that they were good students. They were good students. They, they, they obviously were intelligent, but they were not ready for the next level. And so when you ask me what I gave my daughter that that I'm most proud of or the thing that I look at and I'm blessed that I did, I'd have to say that that was yeah. Because that kid had to work extremely hard her first couple of years of school to even get to a point where she felt like she was successful. I remember the first time she made the Dean's List, it was as though she'd won the lottery. And you know, the honor roll in high school was just, it was just expected. That's what happened, right? Like, right. they're gonna be a honor roll. There wasn't even a question in our minds. And so without that workout, I think she would have fallen dead flat. I think she would have been a statistic. I think she would have been those kids that goes for a semester and then they're on their own, their own thing. But at least she had that Wyoming drive, that kind of rich that's needed to yep. to you know pull herself together and and understand that she's not as good as she thought she was but she has the ability to learn and she has the ability to grow so that that's what i gave her okay so you said work ethic right yeah okay yeah you have to just cut just right there you cut out so that's a very good answer sidra now that you're cool calm and collected <laughs> <laughs> um you know penny and 
are her best friends for a reason. So a lot of things that she says, I'm like, yes, like we, we did this together, right? We raised our kids together and where one parent was a little like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do something dangerous here if you don't stop me. Right. So we are good feedback for each other. But I think that the, the gift that I tried to give my kids overall, since I have four girls, um, I really wanted them to feel and to be able to understand the responsibility of what it means to be a girl in America. I would say that is my mantra of what I try to accomplish. And because there are specific blessings that are tied to this land, this freedom, our heritage is a heritage of freedom. You know, you can look at other nations and they can speak to this is our heritage, but that's that's what we have here in America. And so to be able to choose your own path, to be able to, to find your own voice and be able to stand up for what you believe in are things that I, I hoped that I had planted. Those are the things I tried to nourish. Those are the experiences I wanted them to have. No matter what they were researching, I wanted them to see it from a, the perspective of another girl in another nation in another time period. What do they have in comparison to those things to make them walk away with grateful hearts? help them to grow up to be responsible people who have kind and compassionate um, hearts for other people so that they could reach out, so that they could develop their talents and gifts, so that they could serve humankind. Because otherwise this is just a pretty brutal world if we are just clawing over each other trying to get to the next goody in the basket. Absolutely. So that's, that's what I think I have hoped to have done. I don't know that I've always been so successful, but that would be my mantra. Thank you. So I was, I'm going to go back to this because um, Dr. Lara Goidy, last, last week's guest, actually said that. She, so she's taught in um, Florida, New Mexico, um, um, Michigan, I think, for a little bit, and, and then now she's in Colorado. Um, and she said, one comment she made was, everybody um, east of Texas knows how to, um, has some spunk has some grit and she said what she's encountering here is that that's not always the case um, and and now not we're not she's not in she's not in Wyoming she's in Colorado um, on the front she doesn't know us she doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> oh, along the front range and and she said you know um, I might ask students a question in the classroom and they I don't even get a, I get no response there's not a, there's not a, um, they don't advocate, they don't, you know, it's just a, so we were talking about apathy. That was the, the thing. Like, is apathy, is this, gener you know, every generation says, well, oh, this new generation of kids, they just don't have any work ethic. They're, they're so apathetic. They don't want to do anything. And the response to that is always like, well, every generation says that. So of course we're different. You just don't understand us. Um, but they've done many studies now that, that look at and, and, and are suggesting, yeah, this generation is, there's one more, there's one extra piece missing. Um, so, and she's, the reason I brought it up is because you used the word grit, um, Penny, and she, she used that exact, um, that term. So, um, and you just said that you taught your girls that, honestly. I mean, that's how it comes out. Um, where do you see, um, like the other, so, so let's look outside your, your daughter's friends. Okay. Um, are they right there along with your daughters as far as the work ethic? Um, you know, are other parents doing what you're doing? Whew. That, that is I'm kind of calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> or or calling other parents around you out. <laughs> that, that is a loaded question. You know, I here's the thing, Jacob. Sidra and I have talked about this before. We we look at that class um, that Kennedy and Montana graduated with, and and we do occasionally analyze it, and we try to see where those kids have ended up, and and kind of get a sense of like, you know, where where is everybody like. How did that class fare? Because as a parent, when you're going through it, you need some time to get out of the forest right. in order to really see the trees, right? Because when you're in it, you're just, it's head down. You are doing everything you can to make sure that you're going day by day by day as thoughtfully as you can 
and you're getting them out of the house, getting them to, through college. And then when you stand back and look at it, you're like, wow, we did it. Like right. it was, it was such an aha moment for me when we sat back and we really evaluated where everybody fit. And that, that, that was the high school class. But now if you look at, I don't, and I'm sure the same is true with Kennedy. If you look at who my daughter is socializing with and what she's doing, those, those kids that graduated from college as well. And so those, those are high performers. These schools that they went to are good schools. So they tend to, you know, hang with these kids that they went to college with and, and they're, they're professionals. You know, Montana's working in a big four firm in Silicon Valley. And so I sometimes feel, and I, I will be honest with you, I sometimes feel concerned. Did I do enough as a parent? Is she, is she ready for the world she's living in out there? And I don't feel like your job as a parent really ever ends, but I think, I think it's one of those things where you give them the wings and you, you just pray to God. You pray to God that they will find the right path to find, right? Like you do everything you can and then you got to let them go. And a wise person once told me that you can only hold a bud close so long. Eventually it's got bloom, right? right. And my, my bud bloomed. And as far as I can tell, I've had with the people that she's around, those are high flyers. She's got one friend going to law school, one friend that just graduated um, and is going to be a PA. She's taking her PA exam. I mean, she's got friends who are professional. And my sense is when, when I talk to those kids, they all come from families where the parents were engaged. And so, you know, I, I'm not saying that that's always the case, but my sense is those kids that made it through the system actually made it through college, which is getting harder and harder to do. You know, like I think just much like Sidra's thing about her, her last two girls, I think it's getting harder every year. How, how do you get that college piece taken care of? But my sense is that other parents are doing a darn good job and it makes me want to level up too. I don't necessarily know that that's the case in a small community because when you're looking at it from a small community perspective, when your kid's a high flyer, you're feeling pretty confident as a parent. You're like, hey, <laughs> I got this. My kid's rocking the honor roll. You know, they're, they're a homecoming queen. One of them was prom queen. I mean, like, you're, you're just thinking things are going really well. But then you get out onto a big stage and all of a sudden you're like, okay, like, we need to level up. And so I don't think your job as a parent ever ends. I think it, it just turns to a different arena in which you're dealing in much bigger arenas. And it makes you stop and reflect on the fact that I give my daughter the skill that she's going to need to get through this world. Did I give her the ability to deal with the things that she's going to have to deal with? Right. Those are the. Thank you. So um, because we're just having a conversation, I can't remember the question, but one of the things that came to my mind is just really intentional parenting. And that is, um, that for me, that was much easier to do when I had uh, up until middle school. Like that was, that came very natural and easy for me to be an intentional parent. Um, when these beautiful, happy, sweet little things that I adored became monsters and I didn't know what to do with them, right? intentional parenting became much more chaotic right. and it became much more like, I don't actually know what the right answer is. I don't know what the right answer is this morning. And is it going to be different from tonight? And well, how will that look next week? And so, um, I think that's the power of having a parent group and having a friend group that you can interchange with. And so Penny and I were that for each other, but I, unfortunately I haven't had that with other, with my other children. And so, right. um, one of my other daughters had, a group of three where Kennedy Montana had a group of six girls that kind of forged through together and parents and and Penny and I were the most intense of all of them for sure but by was, far by <laughs> far we will wear that crown we have that as a badge badge of yeah. honor we wear crown, that crown well. and banner we've got the crown and banner for sure <laughs> and we are perfectly fine with that but the point is is that there was other dynamics of other adults who could like temper some moments or help chill some things out and so um, that became a great strength. Um, my, 
another one of my daughters, that, that group grew to a group of three. So it was her and two other girls who helped motivate each other and their parents helped motivate them. And so that became a really good thing. But I don't know that I could say that that was typical of the whole grade. In fact, I would say it probably wasn't. And not that these parents weren't intentionally parenting, but they just had different goals for their kids. They had a different way. And I was blessed to know Penny who was like, okay, this is how we do this stuff. Like she is awesome at analyzing a situation, figuring out a game plan and strategically moving forward. Had I not had Penny Buffington in my life or in my daughter's life, I very easily could have been still intentionally parenting, but not had the game plan spelled out. You know, it's not very much fun to play Candyland when you think the rules of the game are just to go collect all the candy, right? <laughs> Penny is very good at saying, we're not collecting candy. We're getting to the end of the road as quickly as we can. <laughs> have fun, but we're getting there, right? So just, you know, difference in perspectives and personalities for sure. But, you know, now my two other girls, um, and I truly believe that this is the dismantling of that um, unity with parents and things like that. I didn't really know. I still don't really know a lot of my kids as friends and their parents because just of the way the buildings were then set up. Um, back when it was South Elementary, parents would congregate outside. You'd sit and wait for your kid. You'd talk. You'd get familiar. You'd exchange phone numbers. You'd invite somebody over for a play date. Again, that that's neutralized. It is that K through three is so nutto. That building was not meant for that residential older 1950s community so it is literally drop bye love you slam the door and you are racing off because there isn't time and there's nowhere to park i know penny you're like what but and the same thing <laughs> happened at the middle school so we have six that is blocked off and seventh graders are blocked off and eighth graders and you don't really get to have any of this movement that you used to have with a k-6 building for instance and so there goes that parent you know the parents don't see each other so they don't say hey, you know, I'm really kind of struggling with my kid or can they be group partners with this project? Or, there's no communication. And so we wonder why does social media blow up and all of the technology is saturating us? It's because we don't have any physical space any longer to actually have that human connection, that right. potential of intentional parenting together that has also been lost and just the physicality of the buildings themselves. And so my two other girls who've gone um, let's see, so my senior in high school, she would have been, she would have done her last year in elementary and third grade. She went to the four or five campus. So she was pretty segregated, so to speak, in these little blocks of period of people right. for most of her life. And then Jameson hasn't ever known a community school. She was bounced from one school to the next as they built the buildings. One year at South, one year at North, one year at the junior high, one year at the new building and then one year at the four or five campus. So it was almost as if she had moved. And if you do the research, which I'm sure you know, uh -huh. it's so uh, detrimental to any student. To Put it move. easily. Yeah. yeah, to move that much. It, it sets them back, it sets them back their learning. And then you think about all of the disjointedness of all these parents who are trying to get used to new schedules. It's almost as if we were an army brat family and then picked up and moved five consecutive years. And the whole community did that. Right. So at this point, I don't have that parent group. And I've been living here for 16 years and I'm still like, wait a minute, who is your, and what is, and how can you? And so again, that have and have not just, just on the physical buildings themselves and what's happened. Um, so I don't have that, I don't have any other parents in the fight with me anymore. And um, mostly it's just because one, I'm getting worn out. I had a, an older teacher tell me, you know, you can only fight for so long. And you can only go to so many school board meetings and you can only always, you know, and then you get drained. And pretty soon you realize I can't save the community. They don't want to actually hear from me. I'm not going to make that big of a difference. So I'm going to be smart about my resources and I'm going to invest in my kids. And right. so that's kind of where it's at. Absolutely. Um, so this, this all kind of leads me so i've got two quick questions for you i know you guys are um at the end of a long day and penny's on the east coast so she's um she's tired but i'm having a good time <laughs> <laughs> you got me on a roll uh, <laughs> this is like 10 years ago all over again right now <laughs> um someday you know we used to talk about lifetime movies and how we should be a part of one i've got a podcast <laughs> we'll just make our own and we'll tell our story um I got two quick questions for you. Um, 
So our one of our one of my conversations last week was about trauma, um, and I'm sure Penny being in D.C. and Sidra being you, you've um, you've heard or at least witnessed or experienced um, the rise of in the last five years how much trauma um, is affecting our kids, and um, as a teacher. Uh, we, we literally don't know what to do about it um, in the in the last well I've been this is my 10th year teaching and um, when that started I had maybe one kid in a week that had some sort of and now it's we're a decade later and um, in the past institutions I've had over the last several years it might be three or four kids a day um, that are asking for a pressure pass or uh, I need to see the counselor right now. Um, I cannot come to your class right now. Um, and I guess I'm just, uh, and it doesn't have to be anything specific. I'm just wondering what, how you as parents and, and watching your kids deal with other kids who have trauma or having kids yourself that who have experienced trauma, um, how you look at that or, or, what goes through your mind or what do you see as a path forward? Because I just cited some statistics last week. 47% of children now will, will go through what they call um, an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. 22% um, of those, will it will happen before they're in kindergarten. We're talking like abuse, um, sexual assault, um, neglect, um, any of those things. And then 30%, 37% of that 44% will experience more than one. Um, so as, as moms who, um, who were there for every moment of your, of your, your children's education and gave them everything you could, and I'm not saying other people don't as well. I just wonder how you look at that. And, um, I mean, I'm a father and I can't imagine, um, some of the things I've heard in school happening to my kids. Um, but as teachers, we don't know. We, we, we weren't taught how to do this. Um, we weren't taught how to handle it. So it's just like, yep, off to the counselor you go. Um, how do you see that issue? And, and um, do you see a way forward if you've, if you've watched kids go through it? You know, th this... This hits a, a pretty raw nerve for me. I'm sure it hits a pretty raw nerve for Sidra as well. Um, you can have incredibly successful kids that are doing well, well balanced, and nobody's exempt from trauma. Nobody. There's not, I, I don't, I think the days of kind of, and I shouldn't say identifying certain students as being more susceptible to trauma than others. I think those days are over. I, I don't think you can look at it and say, well, this child comes from this, therefore they're more susceptible to it. Because trauma um, can happen to anyone, anyone. And as a mom who has both watched my own child and then one of my child's friends go through what I would consider to be extreme trauma events, um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot through the process. Um, I, I, I felt as though I wanted to take that, that piece on for my child. Um, and you can't do it, right? Like you just can't do it. Right. There's, there's things that as bad as you want to take them for your child, there's some things that they have to go through. And you, you can help them as an adult, but there's still the process of, you know, the emotions and, and all of the things that go with it. Um, I don't know if we're moving the ball down the road farther because I think trauma has become more of an everyday event. Um, you know, when I, when I hear people say there was a shooting, eight killed, three injured, there was, there was this, there was that. And I'm not just talking the mass events, right? I'm talking about a girl who gets in an Uber, goes out for an evening, and is raped and you're sitting there 
trying to pick up the pieces of what that looks like. You know, right. I, I don't think that there's a book or any way that a parent can prepare themselves to really have all of the answers when those things come up. But I do believe this. I believe if you care and you love and you have good intent, you will find the path to help them through it. It may not be the exact perfect path. You may make a lot of mistakes along the way. You may actually make a situation worse because you think you're doing the right thing. But ultimately, I have to believe that just like everything, whether you're talking about a kid, an adult, or whomever you're talking about, you have to approach with that love, that care, and, and that just empathy. And that's something that I don't care how much money you have, how much education you have, whether you're a professional, whether you're a counselor, whether you're a PhD, it doesn't matter because that basic component of being able to help process the world that they're living in today comes down to having the heart that can show them love, care, and concern. And, and I, do, I don't know that we're getting further down the road because I think people are becoming very desensitized to trauma events, right? right. Yeah, like, absolutely. If you're and you're like, oh, other, you know, it's it's become more every day, right? Like, yeah. it's just part of the deal. Like the things that I care about today, I'm, I, I could not even imagine when I was in grade school. Couldn't even fathom the things going on. But on a personal level, I can tell you unequivocally, nobody is exempt. If parents somehow think that they're straight A student or they're prom queen or you know that wonderful student is exempt somehow from the horrible ways of the world that we live in from time to time, they're not. So I would encourage everybody to really prepare because it will happen. It's not if, it's when. And and I firmly believe that. I know that probably sounds a bit dark and, and not, not really as positive as somebody would want it to sound. But that that I take, I, it's it's I and I might be a bit jaded because I've seen it close up. I've seen it close up a few times, and it's just astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. Right. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with everything Penny's saying. I think that um, I really like her approach again to just prepare yourself to identify it. Um, it's when we are able to identify something that then we can combat it, and. For instance, in our uh, Rocky Mountain region, the statistics are that 70%, so 7 out of 10 children, 7 out of 10 adults, 7 out of 10 adolescents are struggling with anxiety and depression. Now, we can argue all kinds of different reasons why. We can talk about gut health and that we need healthy foods to, you know, we, we can talk about a million right. different things with that. What we can't decipher specifically is what are the causes, but we can do something, and it's super empowering. Um, this year uh, was the first year that I even knew that this existed in our in our high school. We have an anxiety room. And so when kids have this, I didn't know it was called a pressure pass. I don't know what they call it at, at our school. But there's, um, you know, some manipulatives that they can squeeze a ball. They can do different things. There's their favorite beverages in a fridge. There's just different tactics, yoga. They can listen to music. They can do all of these very therapeutic self-care things um, to help calm themselves down counselor has to be there at least to check in to say hey you doing okay we now have a dog I think his name's Carl Carl walks the halls and <laughs> helps people I know y'all um and and kids can love on him and, and just that um to kind of calm them down we hired I think two more um counselors uh for this school year for this district so exactly what you're talking about we're seeing this on the rise and it doesn't matter which came first well Let's not spend all our time and money trying to figure out how this happened. Let's figure out how we can help people. And so for me, the bottom line is human connectivity. And more than anything else, the we can be super blessed by having technology. And it's also a very powerful cyberbullying weapon. And it's also a big distraction. And it's all of these other things that we have, unfortunately, not put any bounds on. You know, kids who are already struggling in high school, um, with distractions and everything else, we hand them a Chromebook and say, here, this is your tool and all of your assignments have to be done electronically. I'm not, I, 
firmly am not convinced that that is the right thing to do with these adolescent brains. And so all of a sudden you take something that high school's not that taxing in my opinion anyway, but then you hand them a device that gives them the whole world to be a distraction and we can't figure out why they can't turn in their assignments anymore. It's not really that difficult of a leap to make <laughs> that we've actually helped create some of this chaos. Educators are uh, backpedaling now, by the way, in, in, oh, in many, they? yes, they are. <laughs> so much by actually thinking the process of thinking we've taken that away so the the chaos that's happening in the high schools um we have done that as a society we've done that as an education system and we've done that as parents here have a phone you're 12 have a phone what what are we thinking here of course these are going to have ramifications but more importantly um i think it is just having the power to communicate just like we're doing here you know i don't watch the news anymore because it isn't any kind of conversational genteel passing of information. It is nothing but attacking and stabbing and crying. And unfortunately what that breeds is more of that. And so yeah. it's kind of crazy that we have to have a podcast to talk about this because we can't sit down anymore <laughs> and have conversations. So I appreciate right. the dialogue and not that anything I've said is really gonna be earth shattering for somebody else, but it might get their head thinking in a different way. Um, as if they had been sitting at the coffee shop and that we had had a salad together where they're thinking about, oh my goodness, I could do something different with my kids in a different way. And so that is the positive power of technology, right? Right. Um, but more than anything, it's just this sense of resiliency. Penny spoke to it about grit, but having our kids know that they have the power within themselves, having educators know that, okay, I wasn't trained to be a psychologist, but I can look at this kid and I can say, I believe in you. And I know I have standards to teach and I'm not really sure what a four looks like in my school district anymore, but I believe in you and I see you and I know you have worth and you matter to me. That is, that is a little tiny drop, but you think about it, whether you're a kindergartner or you're a seventh grader or you're an 11th grader and somebody says those words to you that you matter to me at the end of the day with all of the other hoopla that we have going on, that is that is oil to your heart, a rusty heart that will melt you every single time. And that's that's what's missing is people in the grocery store line saying, you matter to me. How are you? I can look you in the eye instead of your stupid phone. You know, we have a lot of power here to change what's going on. We just have to open up the dialogue and say, come on, let's join arms. Peace, love and rock and roll. Let's, let's get this done. We, we have this power to do it. And it's just having that human connectivity. So um, I don't know that it's going to come from the kids because honestly, my senior in high school, she's been handed technology since she was in second grade. She doesn't know how to deal without it. And that hasn't been in my home. She just got a cell phone as a senior in high school. Okay. The worst curse ever, right? So it's happening in all these other places. Even as an intentional parent, you're trying to take certain <laughs> options off the table. But more than anything, the power of that teacher, that educator, I know in my school, district they meet the kids at the door every day i hope when they meet them they look them in the eyes and i hope they give them a genuine compliment and you as an educator i know you've got 80 kids in 30 seconds that you have to take care of you know maybe you do figure out some way to write in technology or maybe we we loosen up the things where you can say hey i loved how you sounded today with da 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 you nailed that part of whatever you know just those that human connection even right. if it does happen over technology let's use technology appropriately but more importantly, let's just look them in the eye. Yeah. Let's look them in the eye and say, you matter to me and I believe in you and you can do this. That's how I think we take down some of this anxiety and some of this trauma because as Penny and you have already testified, everybody's going to have trauma. So if you look at everybody like what battle have they just been through, wouldn't you be a little bit kinder and yep. every, realizing everybody's carrying a pack of pain? They all have a backpack strapped with pain on them. What can I do to lessen it today? And you know what, Jacob? You've got that pack of pain too. And seven out of 10 of your people that you're dealing with as adults are dealing with that pain every single yeah. day. So let's let's be human. Let's be kind. Absolutely. Let's do it together. I love it. So in 30 seconds, this is the last thing. 30 seconds. If you could tell. We don't do anything in 30 <laughs> I know I told you 35 minutes, we're at 55. Um, uh, <laughs> it just goes away. Um, <laughs> So if you as a parent having 
had two, you know, several successful kids go through school. Um, they're young. They're wonderful young people. If you could give teachers and administrators, other than that brilliant advice that you just gave, if you could give us one thing as a parent to say, please don't forget this. Please, or here's something you might not have thought of as a as an administrator, as a parent. Here's something that. Um, you know, I absolutely loved about all of my teachers, and this is what I recognize. If you could give us one thing, what would it be? How's it that we're speechless? <laughs> There's so many things, Jacob. Like, uh, yep. But one thing out there is very challenging for me, but I, I think ultimately for me what it boils down to is if, if I could look at them and say one thing that would have an impact, mm -hmm. it would be, we both have the same goal. It's not you versus me. Uh -huh. We are, get on my team. Right. Put a jersey and get in the game and let's <laughs> do it, right? Right. Like, so often I felt like it was us against them or me yeah. against them or, you know, I, I always felt, and occasionally you'd have this little spark where you'd that an educator got it and they were on your side and those people were like gold you held on to them for everything that you had because you're like here's one to get and the ones that didn't those were the majority right so what i the administrators probably administrators even more teachers is i'm a customer Right. I, I'm a customer. You know, we're we're purchasing education, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we've got to be on the same team. Yeah. You don't look at me as a customer, which is fine. We're probably not going to get there, but please look at me as a team member. Right. How are we? Absolutely. Sidra. Um. Penny cut out for a lot of it, but it's a conversation I believe we've had often. So I think that she's talking about being a stakeholder. Is that? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Um, and um, I, I think I've talked about it the whole time that we've been having this conversation and just having this sense of community and sense of, I am not going to see the world the same way as you. And that's a good thing. We need right. different perspectives to come to the table. You need my perspective just as much as I need your perspective because a bunch of bobbleheads we're not gonna make the right decisions. And so value me, value my perspective on what I think is best for my kid, and let's come together and let's counsel about it. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out how to have an open dialogue instead of the us versus them, the separation on the cafeteria tray, the peas can't talk to carrots, and the chicken thigh can't touch the mashed potatoes. You know, Let's really have some unity in diversity. We talk about it all of the time. Um, when I come into you or I write you an email, don't get your hackles up. You you have this whole thing of like, we're on the same side. We're on the same team. Every principal has ever written that. If you have an issue, you come talk to me. And you do it, and they're like, what are you doing here? Exactly. <laughs> That's she's She has nailed it because you try so hard to to be on the same page with them. Uh -huh. But then no matter what you do, it turns out to be an us versus them sort of thing. And so if I could say anything, it's don't, don't come to the table expecting a fight. Mm -hmm. Don't come to the table and taking Defensive. what you said as judgment. Come to the table understanding we are on the same team. Yeah. Let's play this game. Let's play it smart. And more importantly, I, you know, I need, I've gone to administrators many times in my life and I needed them to help me solve a problem. And I haven't really ever gotten back that they wanted to help me solve the problem. They either wanted to throw a policy at me or wanted me to come up with the solution. And I don't have the solution, which is why I'm coming to them because we have these different jurisdictions. My jurisdiction is home, their jurisdiction is school, and we pretend like I've given them some power over my kid at school when it's not really that. Once they're locked in, they're locked in and the school owns my kid and I no longer have any power to help facilitate the best care of that kid. And I get that when you have more than one child that you're trying to administer to, that you have to have general rules and you have to have general principles and general things. But when a parent comes to you individually, 
my recommendation would be to look at that parent and that child individually and say, okay, so this is our policy and we're going to bounce it off of that. But what is it that this kid needs right now? What does this parent need right now? And don't be defensive about it, but actually live up to your mission statement at the bottom of your paper that says, we believe in helping each kid or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. do it. And so, and just don't be defensive. We are on the same team. Let's problem solve together. I think you guys both need to move to Green River and we'll just, (laughs) we'll solve world hunger. Yes, yes. We we can solve almost any problem, Jacob. Yes. Give us enough time. Absolutely. (laughs) We need a bigger budget. (laughs) I always need a bigger budget. <laughs> well, I'm gonna let these wonderful ladies go about their night. Um, I'm I've had an amazing time. Thank you both so much for giving me your time. Um, I think a lot of people will get a lot of good out of hearing what you had to say. Um, and you know, it's a podcast, so you can't like chat back at it. I'm sure that there'll be people that disagreed with what we said, but um, I think it's important Perfect. that. Used to that at all. <laughs> no, I'm sure not. But I think it's important that we put it out there so that it that it's that it is out there. Um, so thank you both so much for for everything. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jacob. So um, yeah, that's all we have for you. This is Jacob Gantz, and this is episode five of Millennial Mythos. That's all we have time for. Let's talk soon.